Welcome everyone to the First Waves podcast, which is for all of you who would like to further boost your career development and continuously improve day after day. If you want to bring even more value for your company, bet on yourself and have a great career in the corporate world, this podcast is for you. This podcast is sponsored by Wave Business Excellence Footprint, an environmentally friendly online training company that cares about your personal development. In today's episode, we are going to speak about the art of storytelling and how you can learn a couple of new tips and tricks to further improve the way you perform your presentations and meetings. I have the pleasure to introduce you to Doug Thompson, who lives in Austin, Texas and is a seasoned storyteller and TEDx speaker. He makes complex topics understandable for everyone. He specializes in telling stories and helping others learn about the storytelling skills. He worked over 20 years at Microsoft where he was their director of technology strategist and also their artificial intelligence ambassador. Today, Doug is the chief education architect at Tanium and he also has his own podcast called the Doug Thompson Podcast. In case you have heard about Doug in the Business Excellence for Managers podcast, then please note that this is the same interview with him, because I noticed that the content he delivered for managers is just as valuable and applicable for you in a non-managerial role as well. I am thrilled to introduce you to this amazing guest, Doug. Hello, Doug. Welcome to the First Waves podcast. It's so great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. Your profile is so interesting, and that's why I'm going to start with the first question, which is, how was your trajectory? How did you get to where you are today, and how did you become such a good storyteller? Well, I'd love to say it was planned. You know, I think that's the proper thing, or everybody tells you, you know, your life is planned out. But it was a lot of improv <laughs> that went along the ways. Um, never wanting to be in sales, I started out as a copier technician out of college. And just sort of grew from there. I fell in love with the ability to uh, relate technical things to normal people. People that don't, you know, they're on the other side of the print button, so to speak. Yeah. Through meeting people, through doing things, I went from a local copier dealership to Panasonic as a regional person. And then I was doing some teaching on the side because I'm a nerd. I just like doing things. So the teaching piece of that comes naturally to me too. And there was a gig at Microsoft where they were having some contract trainers come in to do something and said, hey, why not? You know, so I went in, I did that. I got a call back from the guy that ran that, said, hey, you need to interview here. I said, cool. I, you know, I never want to look back and say I didn't take a chance or an opportunity to do something. I was happy with what I was doing. But I believe that things happen for a reason. I know that's sort of Bitcoinian stuff, but people are put in your path. People are putting things when you're ready to go ahead and take that next leap or do something different, get you uncomfortable again. And anyway, so I got at Microsoft. I spent 20 years there taking various different roles, but most of them were in pre-sales engineering. And I, I found there that that's where I like to be. You know, people had products or things that they were trying to do and the company I worked for had stuff that could help them do that or maybe do a little bit differently. And I got to have these business conversations. You know, I'm talking with billion dollar companies and it's just like you look back and say, wow, I was in there. You know, there was, it was like <laughs> just a few people doing that. And then, you know, coming, come leaving Microsoft and coming here to Tanium, I saw some opportunity to do some other things like that. So just been sort of a journey of opportunity, talking with people, you know, over delivering on what I say I can do and being open to trying new things. You know, the storytelling piece, I didn't realize I was a storyteller until maybe 
15 years ago, I think. Now, maybe about 10 years ago. We were interviewing at Microsoft for a position like mine. So a peer would be a peer on the team. And we went through like 20 people. And they were all really rocket scientists, smart and stuff. And, and my manager at the time said, look, we didn't hire any of them because they couldn't tell that story. And he said, we need more people like you. And I said, I didn't, you know, everybody can do this, right? I thought everybody did. I mean, we're unaware of sometimes the things that we're good at. I'm, I don't say it necessarily comes naturally to us, but we've developed that skill over time, you know, whether intentionally or not. And, and I said, hey, I've got a skill here. That's when I went on my journey to in text planning. That's a term I developed. <laughs> mansplaining with technology where you get these really smart people and you feel like you're the dumbest person in the room because they're talking in a language that might as well be foreign. <laughs> Um, and don't help me understand what I need to do, especially business people. You know that they don't necessarily half of them can't use technology. They really don't yeah. care. <laughs> they they just want a problem solved. So how do we do that? And how do I help others that are very bright share that story? And so that's sort of what put me on this mission of sharing my storytelling and some tips and stuff on how to do that. Excellent. Well, wow, that sounds so good, and it really brings me back to the times when I was working in the corporate world, and I come more from the process side. So mm -hmm. when I've seen how process people are trying to explain the IT people, what is it that they need for the improvements and from the workshops that we came out, we came up with all these great solutions and how we're going to make the outcome for the customer much better. And the IT people were just like nodding and they were explaining something and, and they were thinking, okay, did they actually get what we were trying to say? And the IT people was actually wondering, I hope I got what they were trying to tell us. Yeah, And, and yeah. that was exactly, I think, the part where you bring value because you are like that interpreter trying to make it clear for both sides, what is it that they're trying to say to each other? <laughs> right, yeah. We're the mediator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. And I think if I look back, it was so hard to find employees to come to my team who would understand both worlds, to find somebody who is maybe good at IT, but also good in processes. And if you do find one, it's like grabbing a, a pot of gold. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is interesting because the skills that make us really good at one or the other, like technology or something, are sort of opposed to the soft skills and the people skills and the, the storytelling skills. They're not developed. They're not really a weakness. They're just not developed because they're harder to pick up. Yeah. Right. It's sort of like if I wanted to eat with my left hand, I would be able to do it, you know, but it'd be very uncomfortable at first and, and take some work and effort. You know, if you don't think about it, you sort of default to these old pathways you have that, hey, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go back to text planning. <laughs> Correct. I really like that word, text planning. It's so good. It should be someday part of the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got to get it trademarked before somebody else gets that. <laughs> Very nice. And as you have been so much time devoting to the topic storytelling, could you tell us a bit about the history of storytelling? And maybe do you know one or two people, globally known people who are really good storytellers? I'll, I'll answer the last question yeah. first. <laughs> and I'll stick with those people that are really good from a technical standpoint, because I listen across genres and stuff of great storytellers. But from the technical standpoint, the best one that I like to follow and look at, although as I understand he wasn't necessarily the best uh, human being, was Steve Jobs. Oh. You know, he sold us on having a thousand songs in our pocket when we didn't know we needed a thousand songs <laughs> in our pocket or, or the iPhones. And I was at Microsoft during this time that came up. Here's this latent need that people have or, or latent want that people have from a device. And he got it. He understood, you know, he understands that we need simplicity. We need to be able to do things. It's, it's a device that is part of our life, right? It's not necessarily work or life. It's part of our life. 
And we needed to make it easier. And we needed to make that experience not, not necessarily sexy, but something that we wanted to have. And at the time, especially at Microsoft, we were very stuck on everything's got to be on Windows and you have to have a keyboard or you have to do this. And, you know, much to my chagrin, they didn't pay attention early enough. Um, there, there were other voices, not just mine, but hey, we need to, but, you know, it was not the way that it worked. And, uh, you know, they got my, so he, but he was very good at what he did and put in a lot of effort to it. From the things I've read, he practiced and practiced and practiced and, and did those things. So it was not, it was not off the cuff. He wasn't an improv type person. Yeah. Things were very scripted and done, but they had their desired impact. And what's good about Apple is that they usually think about first to explain the why. Yeah. Why are we actually yeah. doing this product? And from there on, then they explain, you know, all the other features, what they're doing and all that. <laughs> Yeah, when that, you mentioned the why, that's the Simon Sinek piece of that. Yeah. You know, if you can explain the why and it matches your why <laughs> and those things are in alignment. I mean, that's just overall a great story. When I talk to people about telling stories, and, and we can come back to this, is when you're telling a story, it has to be your story. You have to tell it your way. You have to connect with your why or your voice or your experience, or it's going to look fake. It's not going to work. But if I go back to the history of storytelling, I'll go back to my history first, is I went back to a high school reunion I won't tell you which one it was. <laughs> it, it was a while ago. Let's just say uh, I've been a while out of high school a while. And they had some memorabilia that you had from when you went to school. And I went back where your permission slips or your excuse slips were still written on paper. Technology was the squawk box that they had and the principal left the microphone on. It was interesting. But I look back and there was this tardy slip. It had my name on it. And I'm like, what? I looked at the handwriting. It was mine. He says, I was late because I was I was coming to school. We could drive to school. And I said, there was a Coke truck dropped all the Cokes on the freeway and blocked the freeway. And it got approved. <laughs> that did not happen. If we had cameras and everything else today, it would have never flown. But there was a story being told that I was able to sell. And it's sort of funny. So, okay, I've been telling stories, you know, a lot of my life. But when I was doing my TED Talk, which was about the most important story you'll tell, it's about sort of the story we tell ourselves. But I went back and looked at some brain science and all that, and we've been telling stories since we've been around. If you go back to the cave drawings, even before we had a voice, there was a story being told. And the brain is wired to, I borrow a little Lisa Cron, uh, who's an author, the brain is wired to listen to story. It's how we learn things, we can absorb things, we can associate with things. And not only are we wired to learn from them, we're also wired to tell them, but we don't exercise that. You know, when we're kids, I read to my young granddaughter. She's like three and a half, now my youngest one. And she just loves stories. She doesn't get a screen time, but we read a lot of Disney books and stuff. We went to Disney World here recently, and she knew all the characters. She knew all the stories, although she never watched it. Yeah. So, you know, as we grow older, maybe we read our own books anymore. You know, I used to read the Hardy Boys that will really start dating me, but I, I always like stories. I always like reading them. And I grew into liking Tom Clancy and these other these other ways that they could spin. I, I, I like stories involved technology with you know with Tom Clancy <laughs> always had that. It just engaged my mind, and I would listen to how people talk, and I would learn from that. Again, this gets back to some an unintentionality of, of doing it. Is I learned that they were very impactful in getting people to do and to understand things or to make decisions that you know from a sales perspective they understood and bought the product. Some people say, well, that's cheating. You're manipulating. No, I'm not manipulating. I'm talking to the part of the brain that we're wired to do. I'm just connecting with that part because at the end of the day, then you make that connection with people or products and, and it's just a lot more impactful way to transmit information or facts and figures. So I, I went through all that process again with my TED talk 
and you know, learned a lot about the science piece of that and just sort of started applying it more uh, and being more conscious of what I'm doing. Now, the improv piece, uh, you know, a good storyteller is a better listener from the part where you're especially in the, talking about the business process and, and the other piece of that. And these are the skills that I try to teach others. I like calling it starting my story with where the listener is. What's their world? What's their environment? What do they like? What's their day-to-day lives? I do a lot of what I call LinkedIn stalking. Now, it's not what <laughs> has a bad connotation to some, but I, I'm, I'm looking on LinkedIn for you know, what this person does. What do they do? All social media, what are they sort of like, things like that. So when I go into a discussion and there's some technical thing that I need to explain, I'm trying to find that common ground from which I can explain it. I may use a golf analogy. I may use a driving analogy. I may use something else that they're familiar with to convey a point or convert something that, that I know. How do I then relate that to that person? Because if you start it there, if you start it their day in the life of, and you're trying to take them to this future state, they're more than likely to walk with you along that journey and see themselves in that future, right? So it's, it's all about sort of your storyteller, you're walking with them and showing them what could be from, from what you've seen. And that's all skills that nobody teaches. You know, everything anymore, wherever my dumb device is, the dumb phone, <laughs> we spend our life there and we communicate over text. The generation now isn't forced to go in and converse with people. When I was growing up, we had the phone line or you had to talk to people. And you don't have to do that anymore, which is, I think, is a shame. It's degrading that skill. It makes it harder for people to yeah. do and sort of isolates us. And that's probably almost like an experiment, what we're doing today, just to see what's going to happen with the generation we have today and how are they going to become as communicators when they're grownups. And that's a little bit scary. It's not looking good right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do a talk to graduating seniors and stuff. One of the things I've done, I've done a few times titled Your Career Doesn't Have a Syllabus, you know, because if you've been in school, you have the syllabus, you have this book of life of which you know if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be successful. And anything outside that you don't do, you don't think. As you know, you've been in corporate life. So there is no syllabus. You Problems come up and you have to figure out how to fix them yourself. <laughs> and they don't necessarily have not exercised that skill. It's not that they can't do it. We, we haven't done a good job of training them so I sort of walked them through my career and talk about things and how to look at life and how to tell their own story. You know, the very first story you have to tell is the in an interview. I've got to tell you my story. You know, I can go to these schools. You know, I could hire anybody and not get fired because they're all very smart. There's no doubt about that. Why are they the best fit? I need them to tell me that story. I need them to be able to convey that information. I'll get in a mock interview and they'll read me their resume. I say, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. I can read. <laughs> This is where it gets personal, right? Making it back to the personal piece of that. So I'm trying to make this generation be able to, we're trying to cross that chasm. Yeah. Well, I just remembered the other day I had this conversation with my daughter. Today she's 13 and she was saying that it's so cool because one of her friends, they're always reply very quickly because when she sends her the voice message, then it takes about five minutes until she replies the voice message. And then my, my daughter says, yeah, and mm -hmm. I try to reply again. And somehow they always try to make it quicker. And I say, well, what about if you can speed it up even more and you can make it parallel to each other and you would actually be speaking with her? Yeah, it re that's called a yeah. phone call. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, she was I like, huh? <laughs> Yeah, nobody advertises the phone minutes you actually get on the phone anymore. It's all data and yeah, stuff. Yeah. That's why, you know, primary thing, that's what you talked with. <laughs> 
Oh, the other thing that also just struck a chord was when you said about、uh, Disney. Somehow, when I look at Disney movies, and I was always thinking, how did they become always so successful in all those things that they're doing? And、uh, but then, when you already have seen your number ten, number twelve, or fifteen Disney movies, then you somehow think, oh, I know that there's a specific sequence that I have. There's a specific、mm-hmm. story, and they convey specific feelings to the people who are watching this. And at the end, I think that they're very good at storytelling and how to create. Create their movies and how to create the scenes, and it's all、yeah. somehow it's it's very linked to each of those stories that I have seen in Disney. But it, they do, of course, a great job, and they know that that's what sells. <laughs> the, I read a book. Dan Pink talked about everybody you know to sell is human. It's all in there. Nine out of ten people have to sell, even if the job doesn't have a quota. And he talked about the Pixar pitch. And I just read a a book by one of the Pixar founders. And he talked about the Pixar pitch. It's the same. If you go back, breaking down every Pixar movie, it is <laughs> that's the framework that they use to tell the story. And, and there are parts of the story, if you go back into it, where you know the very first thing you have to do is sort of this gets to my point is, is meeting the protagonist or the hero. I always try to make the customer the hero in the journey, not me. I'm like a third person narrating the story about their lives, because if it's about us, you know, not about me as the storyteller, but is about the listener or the reader. Then it's personal. Then we get invested in it, right? And that's some of the key. I don't tell them what they need to hear. I sort of guide them on the journey. And part of that is you meet them, and then you have to say, okay, there's some event that disrupts their everyday life, right? An everyday block, and this is part of the Pixar pitch. And then you have to sort of go through this struggle, right? You're fighting the demons or whatever comes up with the day that we all fight, and it's up and down and up and down. You have to do the up and down. Oh, they almost got it. Oh no, they don't. You know, so you have to keep the invested, right? You need the downtime for people to sort of absorb and、yeah. catch up with you, and then you have this climactic moment where the hero is then overcome whatever it is. And the place that I'm talking about, people about adopting new technology, I say, look, it's way different than what you're at. You're going to struggle a lot all in this middle. You're going to hate me. You think <laughs> things are going on, but if you stick with it, then at the end of the day, now you're on this new plateau of which you can start a new story again. You know, everybody's changed and all that, and that's how you do that. But you know, there's a formula to that.、Yeah. Uh, and, and once you sort of understand that, then you can help sort of put those things together. Oh, and now if I think a lot of my listeners, they're from the corporate world. They're either employees or managers. How would you say, or what's the reason that storytelling is so important tool to have, especially for employees and managers in the corporate world? And how does it make them better at their job? You know, from the sales perspective, you're going to be better at sales if you can tell stories. So I, you know, I've spent all most of my career in a pre-sales environment. But from the corporate perspective, you know, there's always these performance reviews or or what have you, right? So from an employee perspective, I call it managing up, and this is what I share with the people that I'm giving that、uh, syllabus talk to. It's something they need to do. Okay, what's your value? And it's much the same thing. Why are you more valuable than your peers? Or what did you do? What you, and so being able to tell what you're doing. And attaching, if you're in sales, always attaching it to a number or impact and stuff is important. But what was your role in that, right? How did you facilitate that? How did you go do that? Being able to put that in very succinct terms, you know. When I started out doing my reviews, you know, I've done those for way too long. <laughs> I'm sort of looking forward to retirement where I don't have to do that at some <laughs> point in time. You know, they were very long. They documented everything, but they didn't tell a story. They were maybe facts. They were true, but at the end of the day. Because your manager has to share it up with their management, right? So I always try to package things from an employee perspective. How can I give my manager something that they can then send upstream to their managers, right? 
And, and that helped because, and as a manager, you should be encouraging that and teaching them how to do that. I'm not here to watch every little thing you do, but I need you to be able to help guide them along the story. Okay, this happened and do this. So maybe teach them the story structure that goes along because then ultimately it'll make your life easier because then you can sell that upstream. And your part of this was growing your team. If you're in sales, it's always about meeting the number, but you know, as far as growing the team and stuff, you could do that and you can bring value and stuff that way. You know, that's sort of the sales thing. But if you get into like an engineering role or something, you're on a team with a lot of other engineers, which are just as smart as you are. If you're sort of competing on an idea to solve a problem, you know, maybe you've thought outside again, you're thinking with the customer lens and the customer could be another internal department. It's not necessarily, you know, somebody down at the store buying something, you know, your customer varies by where you are in the company, but you're always selling something to them. So having that selling mindset, how do I sell the value of what my concept is over everybody else's? How can I rise above that noise? Because oftentimes it's simply the loudest person that does enough text planning that confuses the hell out of everybody else that wins. <laughs> Happened at Microsoft a lot. I was a good employee. I had a lot of products <laughs> that never made it past the first generation. Uh, somehow somebody had to approve that, yeah. right? So I, I think we were lacking some good storytellers <laughs> at, at some of that time. I mean, that is a soft skill that if you can master that, it's almost like you're cheating because most of your peers are probably not going to master that. Yeah do that. So it's a skill that will serve you through life. And if you're a manager sharing your vision upstream and downstream, here's my vision for how we want to impact the organization. Again, do it through story because people understand that. Hey, we have to increase our revenue by 10%. That doesn't tell me anything. Why? Correct. Right. I'm not an accountant. I, I don't. <laughs> it's a reason I'm not an accountant. I can't yeah. do that. So I need the more of a little, why is it important to me? Again, crossing that chasm to who your listener is. Yeah. And as everywhere we are, it's always a people business. At the end, you're dealing with it's the accountant. It's a person who's an accountant. If you're dealing with the CEO, he's also just a regular person. And no matter with whom you're communicating, you just have to somehow convey your message in a nice packaged way so that they can get exactly what you're trying to tell them. And I think that's something it's really missing in today's schooling system that I think mm -hmm. children should be taught that there should be a class called storytelling class. And, and yeah. there's so many other things that they learn that they think, well, how am I going to use that for my my life once I graduate from school. And I think that there definitely should add on a couple more things. And storytelling is definitely one of them. Yeah. How to better communicate with others. Yeah. Some of my, my most enjoyable experiences are talking at schools or doing something yeah. like that because they still have it. You know, they're yeah. still young enough that they can still sort of touch into that. Yeah. Even in high school, they can still touch into that stories that they used to like to have before they get way out in the, in the corporate life <laughs> <laughs> where it was not done as much. Yeah. And if someone is preparing for their upcoming meeting or presentation at their job, how do they successfully incorporate the storytelling techniques? Is there a specific structure that you would do that say, okay, there's a specific step-by-step -step way you could do the storytelling when you're creating your PowerPoints? Mm -hmm. <laughs> One, I always apologize for creating PowerPoint and allowing <laughs> you to do stupid stuff. Uh, <laughs> too many transitions, too many fancy things, cramming way too many fonts, although they're getting better about now they have a coach. Hey, reduce the amount of data you have on this slide. So they're trying to help you. <laughs> uh, so use that feature. If you're in PowerPoint, yeah. use that coaching feature for sure. If you look at my slide decks, you know, depending on what you're trying to do, sometimes you have to have numbers and stuff, but make it as less busy as possible and tell the story about what the number means, where it came from. There's always a story behind that. It's not simply that we did 110% of quota. We did 110% of quota with missing members on the team and we did it by 
cross sharing and here's the things that worked with our customers and so that way they can take that to other areas they call it best practices which is sort of i hate that term is kind of dry but it is how did i convey that message almost like storytelling tips but if you're doing things to customers if you're showing things powerpoints and stuff to customers if you look at one of mine if i have control of my deck you know, I don't have to put the corporate message up. First thing I usually do is take what marketing gives me and slice about 85% of the slides out and put something else up that I can tell the story to or I, I do a demo. <laughs> I know marketing, they put a message, but for me, it's the I want the conversation to be a little bit more personal. So if you have that flexibility, I use pictures a lot in my presence. People want the slide deck. So it's not going to help you much because there's no speaker notes. The, the picture is to sort of cue a story in my brain to go on and have this discussion. The best presentations I've ever given where I've connected with the audience, I've had people come up to me after saying, you know, listen, I've listened to that. I was, as an example, when I was at Microsoft and we were talking about, it was a tablet PC time. So it was around the time we were trying to get the tablets out. And I explained the strategy and these other things in such a way that representative from one of our partners, you know, big computer companies came and said, look, I've listened to this pitch, 11, you know, 10 times and never understood it till you did it. And, and I said, good, can you tell me what I said? Because I don't remember. Because I was <laughs> I was sort of living in that moment, yeah, having that discussion. And I could see as, as you're reading your audience, you can see they're getting it, right? So you can keep building on that point. But it's telling a story with it. So the stories have to come from in here, in, you know, in here, not something that is written out. What do I want to convey? So every slide to look at, what am I trying to convey? Who's the audience? And is this the best way to communicate with ours? Now, if, you, if you're talking with, CEOs, their attention span is very small, so you have to tell very, very short stories. <laughs> and sometimes it is the number, here's how we did it, blah, blah, blah. But if, again, depending on where you're at, knowing your audience is, is key. And how, how do you communicate that? So thinking very clearly about what do I want this slide to do and use as few slides as possible. No fancy transitions, fly-ins, flies. It uses as little as those as you can. But if you do use them, be consistent. That's the way I like to do it. Yeah. Run it by... Practice it. Get it to where if your power went out, mm -hmm. which I've had happen before. I had internet. <laughs> I was talking with this computer group at a, at a retirement. It was a, it was a city they call it Sun City, but it's a big retirement village where they had probably a thousand people would come into this thing every month where they'd be this computer club, and a lot of them were retired. And, and but and it was always a great thing. It was always a great thing. So I was, I was going to get fancy one time and use. I was at Microsoft and and they, we had this thing, but you had to have web connection to do it. It was a more powerful storytelling tool. And they decided that the internet was going to be worked on that day. Oh. So I'm, I'm like three things in and okay, well now we're doing shadow puppets. So we just sat down and I, but I delivered the talk and I painted word pictures about the things that went on. So you could sort of say, you know, from a story perspective, it's kind of, the slide was going to have this picture of this. Let me tell you. And, and so th those are the best ways to do it. I mean, it's make it where it is you. And, and it has to be your story. It has to be Juan's story. You can't tell Doug's story. I can't tell Juan's story. Now, I can use you. I can relate. Hey, I had this. I was on this podcast with Juan, and he asked an interesting question in an interesting way, right? So I can give a texture of that, but I wouldn't tell it the same way you would tell it because you have to give part of your, I call it secret sauce, What's your experiences? What's your style? What's your life like? There was a time that I, before I went to Microsoft, I was um, in this class. They were bringing presenters on to do a, a road show for at that time of system builders, you know, the mom and pop shops that used to build computers on every street corner. And they were looking for this and they were trying to prep us to do, deliver this in 20 cities. One of my peers there was, I call him the professor. He had the tweed jacket with the, you know, velvet patches on it. It was very... 
very reserved. You're very scientific. And I tried to emulate that style. And as I, I think in the you know 20 minutes or so we've been talking, you probably realize that's not my style. <laughs> and I was frustrated and failing badly. And my wife gave me the best advice that I ever had is you got to be yourself. Be That's all you can be. So I went back the next day and was, was all, called me up and said, look, you were the best one there. I waited all week for that person to show up. Yeah. And so, so they knew that it wasn't me. So there's things you can take out of it, but adapt it to your own style. The most impactful storytellers do that. Yeah. Perfect. And that's the nice thing about it, that everybody, as, as you just mentioned, they have their own background and their own experiences. So every story that they have, it's always going to be different. It's never going to be identical to the story that another person has because they see it with a totally different eyes. You know, for example, I was doing some exercise in, in one of my previous trainings and I would tell the people to think about an apple. And then I would ask them, what colors do you see? And some people would say, I see green. Some people say, I see red. And it, it really depends on where they grew up and which environment they were. Were there apples growing? Were they mainly green apples or were they then red apples? Yeah. So it really depends on how they will then tell the story, depending on where they grew up and what kind of uh, things they have experienced around them. That's an outstanding example. <laughs> Well, Doug, could you give us three do's and three don'ts when storytelling? What are the common mistakes that people do in storytelling? I'll start with the don'ts. Yeah. It's not about you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make it about you. Um, you, know, you may have a product, you may have these other things at, at the end of the day, but when you're telling a story, you're trying to invite the listener in to envision themselves being successful with your product. It's not about your products, not these other things. You're solving a problem that they have, so it's not about you. When I go in and I'm in a meeting with a customer, I sort of play this game with myself, which is step two, listen more than you talk, right? That's the game I play with myself. Okay, who's talking more here, right? <laughs> if, if it's me, I'm doing something wrong because the listener, if they're talking or they're engaged more than what you are, they're talking more than you are, they'll tell you exactly what they need if you get them to talk, to go on and do this, and then you're simply connecting the dots. They're sharing you with what their vision is, and then it's up to you to sort of say, yeah, we can do that. Let me show you how we can do that. Here's a pitfall that a lot of people have, and maybe this is, well, it's step two and a half, is that sometimes the customer gets to be right. So in that engineering example you gave earlier, the IT people, they may have seen what you had, but there's a better way to do it in their mind, right? <laughs> and it's not necessarily better. It's simply the way that they would do it. Many years of application development, Windows development, we had ideas, hey, hey, you need to have this button here. Why the hell do we have to have that button at all? I mean, it's, you know, some developer thought it was a really good idea to do without customer feedback. So listening to what they want and then, and maybe it's not the best way to do it, but once you get in and start doing it, then again, showing them the path, hey, have you thought about doing this? Let them sort of find that. And then the, the third step sort of goes back to that. It's not about you, but... It's about them. And if you made that connection, learn where their life is. Learn what their environment is. Tell the story in their language and do it that way. So that's the don'ts. So don't make it about what your perception is. Now, the do's, make it add your secret sauce. Again, that is the key to that is, is making that makes your stories impactful. Be open to improv. Everybody should take an improv class because it teaches you a couple things. Very first thing is it teaches you to listen. Because your partner will do something and then hand it off to you, and then you've got to take it from there. One of the exercises <laughs> I do in some of my training is it's almost like a whose line is it in these ways where you're talking about somebody starts off the sentence and then, okay, I want you to pick up where they left off, and I want you to pick up, and I want you to do this. And we sort of let them build that story. 
as they're picking it up from the other people. They have to do it in a yes and environment. So they take up the story and then they build upon it from there. You know, and especially when you're trying, it's not a yes, but yeah, we can do that, but there's a better way. But, you know, anytime you hear the but, <laughs> yeah. I stop listening. I say, you're fighting. So it's always invite them to help create the story with you. And then just read and listen to a lot of other storytellers in various different genres and stuff. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts. I got a new one added to my list now since we're talking with you. But there's different perspectives and stuff you'll pick up if you hear it often enough and say, how can I use that? How can I take what they just did? I like what they just did. And can I make it mine? Can I put a spin on it that would help improve what I do? And, you know, so you're always constantly working on your tools, doing these other things like that. And, and for God's sake, training and stuff, I call it edutainment. It's got to be, it should be fun and try to make it fun if you can. Now, not everybody can tell jokes like everybody else. So don't try to take somebody else's joke. But, you know, you can you make it a little lighter? It's, not, it's you know, typically it's not life and death at our stage, but can you make it a little lighter? And I don't know if that was three things, good yeah. or bad, but it was all over the place yeah. anyway. That's that's perfect. <laughs> it, it gave us at least a couple of points that we know that we should avoid and a couple of points we should definitely seek for. And while you were explaining that, I was thinking about people who are empath. Yeah, if you, if you have that, mm -hmm. I think an empath probably could, I'm just saying it now, I'm just thinking out loud, probably they would have an easier times telling stories because they can really feel what the customer is feeling and what is the customer actually mm -hmm. expecting. And from there, then you can somehow, if you're already in their shoes, you can start directing your story in a specific direction that you know it's going to arrive well to that customer because you already can feel what is it that they are feeling. Do you think that's true, uh, that maybe people should practice to more in this emotional intelligence to become better storytellers? Oh, absolutely. And that's something else I'll have to add to my to my thing. Again, that's one of the things that I naturally tap into. Again, that you know, as part of what does the day in their life look like? So I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. I hadn't thought about putting a, a label on it, a name on it, but you just do a really good job. Because yeah. part of that empathy is what does it feel like? What are they experiencing? What's their day-to-day -day challenges? And a lot of times you can use other customers, other people that you've talked to. And I will do that when I was storytelling. It says, you know, I, I had a customer just the other day I was talking to, the very similar situation, Bob, and I try to restate what they did. And they thought about this. Have you thought about that? So again, trying to show that I understand what their environment is, using the words that they use. The technical workflow is exactly the same. But if you don't use the words that they use to describe that, they're not going to be able to sort of cross that chasm. You have to use their words the words that they use, like in education, it's student outcome, or it's these other things that they live in their environment. In commercial spaces, time to market, it's these other things. But the workflow is exactly the same. So can you pivot your language to match getting to know where your audience lives, right? What's the language they use in doing these other things? And that's I think that's part of empathy as well, is being able to sort of feel for that and know what that language is. Correct. That's probably the most nuanced part of it. Yeah. Excellent. Because I have experience that some managers, they just go through their agenda and they just go step by step and then meeting <laughs> is over. Everybody gets back to the next meeting or to whatever they were doing. Uh, but yeah. they do not really tap in on how did the people receive my message? Did they understand what I just said? Yeah. Do they agree with the agenda point or the decisions that we're making? And then that's where I think it's probably very valuable if you can practice that muscle of the emotional intelligence where you say, I'm not just yeah. going to go through my agenda points and, and then close the meeting. I want to really 
feel? What's the vibes? Yeah, what's the temperature? How's it doing here in the room? Are people really understanding what I'm saying? Did they agree to what I said or are they confused? And then you can start adjusting the way you are explaining your points that you have on the agenda. And I think that's how you can really get people more on your side by the way how you explain yeah. things to them and, and not just to pull through and said, okay, I just gave my message. It's a one-way street and whoever liked it, liked it, who didn't get it, well, bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's probably yeah. where a lot of managers could think about yeah, to see how do I make it more not only about me giving the message, but really seeing what's the feedback loop from the others and adjusting. You know, I like that. And upon reflection, I think some of the best managers that I've had have been those that said, okay, here's a problem we need to solve. And just sort of tossed yeah. it out there. So what are your ideas? Yeah. They were the very last one to talk <laughs> as we came up. And maybe they would toss something if the conversation started getting a little cold. They said, well, I've heard about this other team doing this or, or doing that. What do you think? And they weren't, again, it wasn't the, here's my agenda. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. It, it allowed that team to sort of grow and build their own story and, you know, they could provide input to sort of keep them going the right way or, or ask those critical questions. Well, how would that work here or there? Again, doing it in a non-judgmental way. But if you get your team to come up with a solution, because I've been on these high-performing teams and the managers we had best were those that did that. They didn't get in our way with, here's it's my way or the highway all the time. I mean, there's certain things that, you know, if you're in corporate life, you have those those tough decisions. But those were the best ones I had. They enabled you to do great work because they knew the team was smarter as a whole than they probably were. Wow. That brings me back again to see how come that you still have, I would say, people who are working in that fashion and it still somehow links back to the schooling system because a lot of the way schooling system is set up today is that kids have to sit down on the chairs, they have to be quiet, the teacher is the one giving the direction and saying this is what you have to learn and if 20 years later once they're out of school and they're working in companies then somehow they still have that kind of mindset, oh I have to sit down as an employee, I have to be quiet and I have to see what my superiors, what, what my manager is saying to me and that's where this mindset that shift has to come, that we say that actually the manager has to, as you mentioned, has to be throwing the ball over to the team and say, hey, you girls and boys are the ones who are the experts on this. And what is your input? And I'm just giving you here the message. This is the problem. How can we solve this together? And, and not just me as a manager who's going to give you the direction to say that's the way we're going to do things. Seth Godin talks about, you know, the way the education system got sort of set up was for industrial, they wanted factory workers and stuff where you sat and listened. And I think to a certain extent, the most impactful teachers I've seen before, others I got gentleman Don Wetrick over here in the U.S. came up and he was teaching his students to be entrepreneurs, which I think gets to be if we can get some of that entrepreneurial mindset where, again, he said, here's a problem we need to solve or, hey, does anybody have something? And you let them sort of go. I mean, there's certain courses, you know, math needs to be prescribed because math only works a certain way and it's worked that way for centuries. Fine, I get that. But as you get on to do these other things to prepare for jobs that don't exist yet, in most cases, they don't, we're preparing them for, it's the best guess, right? And, and it's these structures that put in place that, yeah, we need to get more of that. We need to get more of that entrepreneurial mindset. Because even in a corporation, even if you're in a corporate job, I've tried to approach it from an entrepreneurial mindset of, hey, we've got a problem we need to go fix. How can we go do that? Right? Not wait for some dictate to come on down. You'll get enough of those dictates coming down, trust me. But if you get an opportunity to, to come up with something creative yeah. to do something, then I think that's a better way. But yeah, it does come down to what we've done. And I see you, there's a lot of disruption now in the education 
system that it's, it's going to be an interesting period of you know five or ten years to see how this shakes out with remote learning and exactly and things like that that COVID sort of th- accelerated. Yeah. I think it was on that way, but COVID threw gasoline on that fire. That's so true. I've seen a couple of schools now. I think there was, when I used to live in Germany, they already started with a couple of schools that they are mainly project-based. So they said, we're just going to give groups of kids a specific project that they have to solve. And then within a couple of weeks, they have to come back and give a presentation of what they have solved through that issue that Mm -hmm. was given to them. And that's really very interesting. And I'm I'm very curious to follow up on how that is working because I just opened that school a couple of years ago. I think once I'm an old person, then I will probably like start <laughs> researching, see what happened to those children who went to that school. Yeah. What came out of them? Yeah, are, are they now coming up with great new ideas for the market, or did they become CEOs? Or you know, so it's very interesting to see what's uh, going to be the difference. Yeah, all to to check yeah. those data. No, I like that. Now I would focus on you know if I got to go back and look at that, not necessarily how they solved the problem, how they communicated, how they identified the problem what the problem has solved it. That's the part I would look at from my storyteller perspective, because if they can, the best ones are going to be able to do that piece of it, right? Because solving a problem is somewhat of a binary thing. You solved it or you didn't. How you did it gets to be a little bit irrelevant. You don't have to show me necessarily show me that work. But if you can convey the value, how you went about it, you know, what it did. and, And then more importantly, put your third eye on what's the future look like? What does it go from here? Yeah. What's the problem that this particular fix causes? There's a cause and effect in everything. So you may fix one thing and it may cause 10 others. Again, how do you complete that book? How do you tell that story? Correct. That's just a different lens that, again, over the last 20 years, I've, I've tried to develop and look at. And it, it served me well because I have some really great discussions about that. And, and hopefully I would like to look back and I try to stay in touch with some people and that they become better storytellers and it's actually impacted their lives. Well, that's so amazing, Doug. It was really such a pleasure to speak with you today and to cover all these questions that I had in mind. And I hope also the listeners were able to take some notes and also put some things into action. Well, I actually have one final question for you, which is where can the listeners find you and if there's any services that they could have from your side? Sure. Thanks for having me on again. It was, it was a great discussion. You know, you sent me the list of sort of questions and somehow I think we covered the topics, but it was not in maybe the, the chapter and verse of what you expected. <laughs> we had some, we had a fun journey along the Correct. way. Um, I'm most active on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm building out, uh, so I've got my own podcast. It's creatively named the Doug Thompson podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not very many, but it gives me some flexibility with where I want to go to. And I'm about to do another season of that. And I want to focus on you know, some of these stories, some of the best technical storytellers that are out there and, and dig into what they do. And then, so that's one place. So I'm in, and I'm at the Doug Thompson just about everywhere else, you know, Twitter, Instagram. So I'm trying to build that up. If you got a conference, if you got a seminar, if you got a company meeting where you want to sort of talk about storytelling, just hit me up there. It's easy to do. Just reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, or any of the other social platforms. And I'm happy to sort of discuss that to you. Uh, you know, if you're college, university, Students need to understand they're about to get in life and there's no syllabus. Yeah. You know? And maybe going back to your other question, that's the best way to get, get rid of the syllabus in schools. <laughs> and let's start getting into real world and teaching the kids that way. Maybe that's the best way to do it. Yeah, so true. And I will be putting all the links that you just mentioned right now, how to contact you onto the show notes. So in case somebody's driving or doing anything else while listening mm-hmm. to this podcast, they can just click on those links. And thank you so much, Doug. It was a pleasure having you here and hope to see you soon again. Thanks, Juan. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Doug. In the show notes, you will find all the links on where to find him. Before you listen or do anything else right now, I encourage you to pause for a moment, reflect on what was discussed and choose at least one action point out of this episode and try it out. Feel free to let me know how it went through any of my social media channels or email. These links can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is important to my team and me so we can continuously improve the value we deliver as we want to give you the most from each episode. Please rate, subscribe, send in your comments and share with those who you think would profit from this episode. It's very much appreciated and I am grateful for your messages. I am also a work in progress and strive to do things better every day. This podcast is sponsored by Wave Business Excellence Footprint where we believe that investing in yourself is the best investment you can make. On the website www.wave-bef.com you will find courses that are designed for managers and for employees who strive to become better every day. If you do not have a Lean Six Sigma certification, then you will find an outstanding certification program with WAVE. And in case you already have a certification, then we have other courses that will further enhance your skills. On the website, take a look under the tab called Courses for Employees to see what courses resonate with you. All these courses are designed to take you to the next career development level. Thank you, stay tuned and see you in the next episode.